and he sent uh, Timothy to uh, Philippi, and they were working and laboring there. Now, Ephesus is a, a town that um, had a strong church in it. In fact, had a very, very strong Christian influence and was kind of a uh, focal point of Christianity for a, a period of time. Uh, but there were some doctrinal errors that were beginning to creep in. Some false teachers were coming in and were trying to, uh, as often is the case, they were trying to bring in the Mosaic Law and in, intertwine it with the gospel message. And they were trying to, uh, to require people to not only have faith to be saved, but also to obey the law. And they were mixing works and faith together. <coughs> so Paul goes to Ephesus and he combats this, this doctrinal error. He teaches the folks there in the church. And there are some elder men in the church that uh, are kind of um, opposing him and kind of trying to, uh, to debate that issue. After a period of time, Paul leaves. Or he sends for Timothy, who comes to Ephesus, and then Paul leaves Ephesus. He leaves Timothy there. And he goes to Philippi <coughs> and uh, ministers there while Timothy stays at Ephesus. Now, Timothy is a younger man. And because of that, Paul has to really encourage him and exhort him because there were some elders, according to chapter 5, there were some elders in the church that were trying to oppose his youthfulness and the idea that, that you know, uh, they knew better than he did. And so Paul's in exhorting him to be strong in doctrine and to be strong in a godly life. Those two things in, uh, specifically that Paul deals with in, in 1 Timothy. Now, that's the background that we find this, and we're going to begin reading now, if you will, verse number 1, chapter 1, verse number 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, mine own son in the, in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other, other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Father, we come to you once again. We ask that you would bless the teaching and the preaching of your word, that it will go forth in power and that it will do a work in our hearts and guide us and direct us. May your Holy Spirit have free reign. May your word have free reign to work in our hearts and to do the work that you so long for it to do, to instruct us, to correct us, to bring reproof, to bring conviction where it's needed. I pray that you would help to solidify in our hearts and our minds some truth today that will help to guide our steps day by day. And so, Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit will do what I cannot do, uh, from this pulpit, that He will work in the hearts of people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul exhorts uh, Timothy here <coughs> to stay in Ephesus. Uh, there seems to be, by the way Paul addresses Timothy several times here uh, throughout the book, there seems to be a discouragement that, that Paul became aware of. Maybe even to the point, and I, I don't, the Bible doesn't tell us this for sure, but there certainly has been some things that Paul is addressing specifically to Timothy that would lead us to believe that Timothy was, uh, was frustrated. Maybe even to the point of saying, I, you know, I'm done. I, I'm just going to leave, and, and this is too much for me. It's a hard uh, position. Uh, because Paul so strongly 
tells him, listen, you need to stay there. You need to do the, the work. Uh, I know it's a hard place. I know these men are giving you a hard time. He says, let no man despise your youth. You know, don't, 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 don't worry about those things. Just be strong, stay faithful, and do the work that I've sent you there to do. And I want to, I want to try to be a help and bring the truth that Paul's going to teach here to Timothy in chapter 1. There's a number of things. In fact, there are six specific things I think Paul addresses here in chapter 1. And I want to bring them into a, a full application of you and I today. Because the truth is this, that when the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, the Bible says that He was in the grave for three days and three nights, and then He rose from the grave, and He was on earth for a, a number of days afterwards, and then the Bible says He ascended back to heaven, but He left us here. He left the disciples. He gave them what we refer to as the Great Commission. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And by the way, that's something that God gave not just to preachers but to every person that trusts Christ as their Savior. We've been given the responsibility of propagating this message of the gospel everywhere we go to let people know uh, they're in darkness, that they're in condemnation, and that Christ came and offers them deliverance. He offers them salvation from this to save them, to pull them out of that condemnation, to give them a home in heaven for all of eternity. And, And that's the wonderful news of the gospel. But the truth is, the moment that we got saved... God could have said, okay, he's saved, I'm going to go ahead and bring him on to heaven. But he didn't choose to do that. He left us here. He left us here because there was a work to be done. There was a darkness of this world that needed the shining light of the gospel to be spread abroad in it. Now, I'm going to pull some principles, and we're going to take the things that Paul tells Timothy because they are so closely associated to the responsibility that you and I have in the present day that we live. We, too, are being left by our mentor, the one that has taught us, the Lord Jesus Christ. We, too, have been left in a place that is, that is not uh, knowing God, that is not knowing Christ in the way that they should. And we have been given instructions that we are to be teaching them in doctrine and that we are to be living a godly life as an example to them. These are the things that you and I have been left in this world to do. And because of that, the things that Paul instructs Timothy here, I believe, are very, very important for you and I to know and to be aware of. Because sometimes we get in our hearts and in our minds that I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven. I'm just going to go ahead and live out my life the way that I want to live it. And when I die, I'll go to heaven and I'm thankful for that. But we're missing a whole other part of what God has for us. We're missing what I believe to be some of the greatest joys of the Christian life, and that is serving the Lord Jesus Christ. There are six things that Paul charges Timothy as he says, stay in Ephesus. I'm going to use this little phrase, uh, and when he talks about this, he says in verse number uh, 3, he says, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus. And this phrase, abide still at Ephesus, I'm going to, I'm going to equate, I'm going to, I'm going to make application of that to you and I, because we're not living in that time period. But let's, let's say this, the Lord has certainly left us here in this world and said, I want you to serve me while you're there. I want you to do the work for me while you're there. And He's given us a letter, hasn't He? He's given us a book of instructions of what to teach and how we're to live. The same thing Paul did to Timothy. I want to look at these six things that Paul teaches Timothy because I believe that they will be of great 
encouragement to you and I in the day we live. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 3. We're going to read down through verse number 7. Paul tells Timothy, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some, that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain janglings, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. And so there were men that were creeping in, and they were teaching false doctrine. And I would tell you this, that God has left us in this world today because, number one, the world needs the truth. The world needs the truth. All you have to do is take a few moments to look around and listen to the moral arguments that are made in, in Congress, in our societies, in our local governments, men and women that debate what is morally right and what is morally wrong. And the truth is, we have become a God unto ourselves, and every man is doing that which seems right in his own eyes, and every man becomes his own moral standard. And you and I have been left in this world because we have been given the fact that we are the pillar and the ground that this truth is being held by. We're to uplift it. We're to defend it. We're to preach it. We're to propagate it. Because the world needs the truth. If we are not here, if we are not doing the job God left us to do, then the world will continue to spiral down in its error because it has no truth. There is no foundation. We sang the song a few moments ago, On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. If man just depends upon their own opinions, their own philosophies, their own moral centeredness for their establishment of what is right and what is wrong, then we are destined as a world to continue to go down a road of depravity. To go down a road where things that a hundred years ago we looked at and said, those are atrocious things, are now being lauded and uplifted and even glorified. Why? Because men need the truth. Paul left Timothy in Ephesus because there were some who were departing from the faith. There were some who were teaching uh, other things. Notice in verse number uh, 6, he says, from which, uh, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain janglings, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. There, there are these folks out here in the world today that they want to have the voice. They want to have the leadership. They want to have the, 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 the best-selling book on the New York Times bestseller that tells men what is right and what is wrong. Can I tell you this? There's only one source of truth, and that's found in this book right here. And the reason God has left us in this world is because we are the pillar and the ground for this truth. We're the ones that have been handed, and I don't know why God did it, but He did it. He handed us the responsibility to take the most precious truth that He has. He put it into our hands. And He said, now you go and take it to the world. Could God have done it another way? Oh, absolutely. In fact, when He was coming into Jerusalem just shortly before His, his death on the cross, the, the, the folks were out there uh, waving the palm branches. 
saying, Hosanna to the highest. Hosanna. And there were some people critical of that and said, you need to tell these folks that they shouldn't be saying such things. They need to, they need to quiet down. And you remember what Jesus said? He said, if these hold their peace, the very rocks will cry out. Can I tell you this? Uh, you and I have been given a wonderful privilege to have not only the, 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 the responsibility of propagating the truth, but because we live in this wonderful nation called the United States of America, you and I have been given the liberty. We've been given free reign to take this book. You know, I'm allowed to own as many copies of this as I want to, and I'm not going to get arrested for it. Not so in every place in the world. Do you know I get an opportunity to read this book and I don't have to worry about getting locked up in jail or beaten or, 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 or killed for it? But not so in every place in this world. I've got the privilege not only to do that, I can walk out here on a street corner, as there's some that do, and I can stand out in the middle of a public sidewalk and begin to proclaim this book and not be worried about being arrested for it or beaten for it or thrown in jail for it or killed for it, but not so in every place in the world. And in this world where we have been given so much and afforded so much opportunity, we have taken the least advantage of it. We've grown apathetic because of the great liberty we have and no persecution, really, to speak of. We've grown lazy. We've grown apathetic. Folks, we've been left in this world. Those of you that are saved here today and know that you're on your way to heaven, there's one reason that God has left us here. And that is because there is a world of darkness that needs the truth. They need the truth. You say, well, pastor, they, they reject the truth. That's fine. They can reject it, but that's on them. It would be terrible for them to die and go to hell having never heard it. It's bad enough they reject it. But how much worse it is when you and I shirk and neglect our responsibility and they die having never one time even heard it. In a nation that has such liberty, in a nation that has such ability to be able to go and to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a need for truth. There's another reason that God has commissioned us to do a work for Him. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 8. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy, profane, uh, for murders of fathers and murders of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-sealers, for liars, for perjured persons. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. You know what Paul was saying? He's saying, Timothy, you're being put in a hard situation. You're being put in the midst of a people that have a hard heart. He gives a list of them here. He talks about those that used the law unlawfully. These folks that were opposing Him in the church. He talks about them being ungodly. 
He talks about them being unholy. He talks about them being profane. Murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers. He talks about them being whoremongers and those that defile themselves with mankind. Those that are stealers. Those that are liars. Those that are perjured persons. And he says, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, he said, this is the group that you are sent to. This is the group that you're to work with and to labor with. And he says, look with me in verse number 11. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to what? To what? My trust. This, this group of people that have hard hearts. God has given us this to take to them. Number one, because men need to hear the truth. Number two, because of the hardness of their hearts. We are left behind to take the gospel to them. I was sharing some things with folks the other day. I've had a few times where people have come to me and said, Pastor, I've been working with somebody who doesn't, they're an agnostic or they're an atheist or they deny that the Bible is truth. And I've been trying to, I've spent hours and hours trying to convince them and trying to show them that this is <coughs> that this is true and they need to accept Christ and trust Christ as their Savior. And what more can I do? And my answer is always the same. Give them Scripture. And I know that the question is, well, they don't even believe the Bible to be true. But can I tell you this? The Bible is quick and powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. This book is a living book. This book is a book that does something to the hearts of men and is able to pierce even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I'll tell you this, that our arguments, our philosophy, our debates are never given that kind of promise. But this book is. You say, what's going to break through the hardness of a man's heart? I think it's fine to give a testimony of what God's done for you. I think it's fine to give some, some, some logical reasons why they ought to believe the Bible. But it ought not be what we're depending on to break the hardness of their heart. This book and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to use it in their hearts is the only thing that will weaken the hardness of their heart. Paul tells Timothy, I want you to remain there at Ephesus. I want you to abide there. There's a people there that need to hear the truth. There's a group that are hard in heart. And you've been committed the truth. It's been given to you. It's been committed to you. It's been placed in your hands. It's been given into your responsibility. Can I charge our Christian friends here today? You and I have been committed the Scriptures. It's been committed to our hands. It's been committed to our responsibility. Take this book and to preach it to a lost and a dying world. A world that maybe even is hard. I've talked with preacher friends of mine, and there, there's no doubt that there are some places in this country that are more open to the preaching of the Bible, and there are some that are more closed to the preaching of the Bible. And I've heard some men say, well, I can't work in labor there. I can't serve in that church because that's just too hard of an area. And I tell you this, it does not matter where God plants us. We are to be faithful in that area because even those with a hard heart need the truth. They still need the truth. 
I love this next one. Look with me in verse number 12. And it's interesting because there were some people that were obviously giving Timothy a difficult time. In Timothy's case, it was, it was age. There's no doubt that Paul alludes in this and other writings that there were men who were critical of his teaching because of his past. You understand this, that Paul wasn't always the great Christian and author of uh, the, the human instrument to write Scripture that we know and love in the Bible. Before, before Paul met Christ on the road to Damascus, he was a horrible man. He was arresting Christians and, and consenting to their imprisonment and their beating and, and even consenting unto the death of Stephen for preaching the gospel. This is who Paul was before he got saved. In fact, in the book of Philippians, he makes this statement. He says, Forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And I firmly believe that one of the reasons, I believe there may be some others too, but I believe one of the reasons Paul had to get to a place where he could forget those things which are behind, and I don't mean not know them up here, but not let them affect his heart and his service. I believe one of the great reasons for that was, I believe that one of the great problems Paul dealt with was Satan coming to him on a daily basis and saying, who are you to preach the gospel? You were the one that was guilty of arresting Christians. You were the one that was putting them to death. Who are you? These people aren't going to listen to you. Look at your past. What gives you the right to stand before men and preach the truth of the gospel? They won't listen to you. By the way, I think that's one of the most deceiving lies Satan tells you and I. Well, I can't share the gospel with that person. They know what I was like before I got saved. They won't listen to me. If there was anybody in the history of mankind that would have any right to say such a thing, I think we would have to agree it would be the Apostle Paul. Notice what he says here in verse number 12, and don't miss it, please. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he hath counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, and, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. In other words, he said, God showed me mercy because I did those things before I was saved. And God in His mercy has called me and put me into a ministry. He's put me in a position to take the truth and to preach it even though my checkered past would give men to accuse me and say, who are you to preach this? God put him in that position. And I want you to notice this. He says in verse 13, But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying. And worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit, for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him to life everlasting. Can I tell you this? Another thing we need to know 
that we need to be aware of and live day by day is that God can still use unworthy people. You say, who am I? I can't share the gospel with, with this person or that person. They, they know what I've done. Yes, but God is merciful. And He allows us now on this side of salvation to show forth an example of long-suffering and love and faith and gives us the privilege to take this truth and to share it with them. I've heard so many times people say, Pastor, I can't, I can't, I can't tell somebody about the Lord. My life has been too bad in the past. I, there, there's no way they're ever going to even listen to what I have to say. Yeah, they will. Because it's not you that, and what you say that changes their heart. It's the truth. The truth of the Gospel that changes their heart. It's the moving of the Holy Spirit in, in, in their hearts as they hear these words that does the work. I'm just thankful He's counted us worthy, aren't you? Because the truth be told, there's not one of us sitting here or standing in this pulpit even for that matter that are worthy to handle this book. I was talking to a young man a, 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 a couple of years ago now. It's been. He, he was wanting to preach. Had been working and laboring with another pastor. He got ready and he said, you know, I'm ready to go out. I want, I'm, just, I'm itching to go pastor. I want to go be used of the Lord. I've been now working and laboring for a few years and being mentored and trained and taught. And, and he went and talked to his pastor friend and the pastor said, you're not ready yet. And I, I went to lunch with this young man a few weeks after. He was sharing this with me. And I said, brother, if you ever feel like you're ready, then you are not because there's not a preacher that's worth his salt that stands in any pulpit that ever feels like they're worthy or ready to take an eternal Word of God and share it and expect to do it any justice. Because, folks, God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to, to propagate the Gospel. But can I tell you this? It is not the message that I sat down this week and penned and wrote notes now for that is going to do the work in your hearts. It's the truth of this book. And it's the moving of the Holy Spirit of God in your life that will do the transforming work. You and I are simply to be obedient. To take this thing, to take this wonderful truth that God has given to us, that God has entrusted to us, and to share it with those that need to hear it. You say, but I'm not worthy. God is able to use unworthy people. And in fact, every single person that He has ever used has been unworthy. Don't let that be an excuse. Don't let Satan throw that in your face and say you can't share this with someone else because of your past. Paul knew what it was to have a storied past, to have a past that people would look at and say, what a hypocrite. You, the one who was out here arresting Christians, imprisoning them, beating them, seeing them be put to death for their faith, and now you're out here preaching the very faith you were condemning? Paul said God was merciful, putting me into the ministry. Oh, what a joy 
there is in the Christian's life who comes to the realization that God has given me the privilege to serve Him. What a joy there comes. There was something else Paul wanted Timothy to know that would do you and I well to know this. And I know we know it academically and intellectually, but oh, that it would begin to work on our hearts. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 17. Now, unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, and only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And then Paul said, Amen. Amen. You know what that word amen is? It's actually a Greek word that's untranslated. It's transliterated into English. And it means so be it. This is true. I'm in agreement with. Paul said, Unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, only wise God be glory forever and ever. And Paul said, If nobody else does, I agree with it. Amen. Can I tell you this? One thing we need to live in this life, this side of heaven, knowing is that we serve a great God who is able to do above and beyond all that we could ever even imagine. You say, but I can't serve God. I've got, I, I've got, I've got an introvert attitude, mindset, and personality. I, I can't serve God. I'm scared to death to talk to people. I can't serve God. I, I've sinned and, and had a past life that's terrible. I'm going to tell you something, and I know that some of you may or may not understand this or believe this, but you, if my sister ever comes to visit here, my older sister, you can ask her and she'll tell you this. I was the most introverted person I ever knew. I still am. I don't, I don't like people. I, I, I mean, I know that sounds... I love all of you. But I don't like any people. I don't, I don't like being around people. I am not kidding you. When I was a senior in high school, my lifelong desire was to find a place in the mountains somewhere and get me a dog and a cabin and live off the land and never have to talk to anybody. That was my lifelong ambition. I would freeze up. I'd get so nervous around people and talking to people. And God must have a sense of humor to put me in ministry where all I get to do is work with people. I told somebody the other day, if it weren't for people, the ministry would be great. And I mean this. I do love each and every one of you. And I love people this day. But it is only the grace of God, and I mean this, every single day of my life that allows me to walk up to somebody and talk to them. Because that is not me. I am so introverted. I am so scared to death of talking to people. If you saw the inside of me, if you saw how nervous I get, the cold sweats I break into, my, 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 I'll have this wonderful thing to say to people, and then I walk up to them, my brain just goes blank. I'm, I'm telling you folks, we serve a great God that can take whatever infirmities we have and still use us. I look at Moses who stammered with his tongue, and when God used him in such a mighty way, he, he gave the excuse. He said, Lord, I can't. I'm slow of speech. I can't do this. And you remember what God told him? He said, Moses, who made your tongue? Who made your tongue? 
Can I tell you this? We need to live with the knowledge we serve a great God. When it comes to our service for Him, I don't care what excuse we throw out there and say, God, I can't. Yes, we can. Not of ourselves, but God is mighty. God is able. Now unto Him, this King, eternal, immortal, invisible, only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. We need to live with the mindset that we serve a great God. We need to see Him more as He truly is. Do you know how many times, without even thinking, we minimize God? We limit Him? Every time we fret, every time we worry, every time we make an excuse, we are limiting God. God is invincible. God is almighty. You know, one of the amazing things to me is I I, I love studying science. I love studying things about this earth. The solar system, my son loves. He gets his telescope out. He loves looking at planets and stars, and he knows constellations, and he loves that, the vastness of space. We've taken satellites so far and, and seen with telescopes so far that we say, okay, that's the edge of this galaxy, and it's billions or millions of light years away. Huge, huge, and that's just our galaxy. Not to know that there, not to understand there are many, many other galaxies out there. You know, the Bible says that God measures space with the span of His hand. And it's not a measurement. It's an illustration of the immeasurable God that we serve. The Bible tells us in the book of Genesis that in six days God created everything that is. In six days. And then it says in the seventh day, God what? He what? He rested. Can I help you with something? God didn't rest because He was tired. After He had spoken everything into existence and formed man out of the dust of the ground and had breathed into His nostrils the breath of life, all that there is, and I mean look at the vastness of matter and energy that's out there, and all of the vastness that there is, it did not even deplete God. Not in the slightest. It's not like He used up a portion of what He had available because He is immeasurable. The abundance of this wonderful God that we serve. And then we wonder, but Lord, can You really help me with my shyness? (laughs) I think that's a fairly small thing God can help us with. I'll give you this. I've been now preaching since I was 17 years old. I don't know how many years that is. 35 years or so. 35 years. Every single time I've gotten up to preach, God has enabled me to do it. And folks, I'll tell you this. There are times when Brother Dan was still here leading the music, I'd be sitting on that pew saying, Lord, help me. I can't get up there again this morning. The butterflies and the, the, the anxieties that would set in. But 35 years, folks, God has been able to allow me to be a part of His ministry. And He can do the same for you. I don't care what it is. You say, well, I'm nervous. I'm shy. I'm backwards. I've had a past that that, that people just, they wouldn't listen to me. Yes, they would. Our responsibility is to take the truth of this Word 
and to share it and then let God do the rest. Verse number 18, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war. A good warfare. Number five, we need to keep in mind that we are involved in a battle and we must not surrender. We are involved in a battle and we must not surrender. A number of years ago when Alexander the Great, who conquered the known world at the age of 29, I think it was, 20. 24, something like that. The youngest one ever to conquer the known world. Had moved across the continent with blazing speed and, and conquered so many people. It was, it was the policy of the military that if you deserted in the day of battle that you were to be put to death. And one particular battle took place. There were several young men that had fled in the danger of the battle. they were captured and brought before Alexander the Great. He went down the line and he began to ask them, why were you such a coward? And then condemn them to die. He finally got to one young man. He said, sir, what's your name? And the young man said, my name is Alexander. And Alexander the Great looked at him and he said, young man, either change your name or change your conduct. We're in a battle. We must not surrender. We must not quit. We must not faint. But we must remain steadfast. And we would put our hand to the sword, this wonderful book of the Scriptures, and that no matter how hard the battle gets, we do not quit. He tells Timothy, he says, I commit thee, son Timothy. I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. In other words, Timothy, I want you to take the truth that's already been given to you, and I want you to fight a good fight with it. Stand strong. Don't quit in the day of battle. And then I want you to notice also in verse number 19. He says, Holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. He tells Timothy, Timothy, I want you to abide in Ephesus. There's a number of reasons. They need the truth. There's some with hardened hearts that need to be reached. God can use even unworthy people. Keep in mind, Timothy, that you serve a great God and that you're in a battle and you must not surrender. And lastly, if you don't do it, who will? If you don't do it, who will? Look with me, he says here in verse number 19. He tells Timothy, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered unto Satan, that they may learn 
not to blaspheme. Not everybody that names the name of Christ will be laboring and serving as they should. Not everybody will live with these principles in mind. Therefore, it falls to us, those who know them, those that hold to these principles, to be faithful to the truth. Paul told Timothy, he said, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. In other words, Timothy, you need to keep the truth pure. You need to make sure that they don't compromise on the truth. You need to make sure that it doesn't get, it doesn't get uh, contaminated and distorted. Be steadfast. Preach it. Be sound in doctrine. Hold fast to these things. The things that Paul, I think, charged Timothy with are so easily applied to our lives today because our Savior ascended back into heaven a little over 2,000 years ago. And He entrusted this book in our hands and said, Now go. They need to hear the truth. There's going to be some with hard hearts. Just give them the truth. There's going to be some that will accuse you of being unworthy. Just give them the truth. There's going to be some that say you can't do it. Remember, you have a great God. And give them the truth. There's going to be some that are going to try to get you to quit. Remember, you're in a battle. And give them the truth. There's going to be some that will say, nobody else is doing it. Say, but I will. And give them the truth. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. The message has been primarily for Christians today, but I want to encourage those that maybe would be here today that would say...